Good morning. Good to see you all this morning. A few little items to take care of here before we get started. If you take a moment to silence your cell phones, we appreciate that. If you're vid visiting with us, we're glad you're here, and we ask that you'd fill out a visitor's card in a pew in front of you. Uh, drop it in a black box or give it to somebody. We'd like to have a record of you being here. Uh, life groups have been reorganized for 2024. There's new sheets on the back. Uh, there's one on a bulletin board if you want to just look at it. Uh, so all that's back there. And pick up a worm journal for a record of all our upcoming events, uh, those who are sick, who are struggling with their health, uh, other things to be uh, prayerful about this week. Our theme this year is devoted. It's based on Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That's what we're going to try to strive to do this year. If you would, as we begin, please join me in prayer. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for uh, all that you do for us, for your constant presence, um, for your blessings in our life. Help us to serve you, Father, with all that we have, all that we are. Every breath we have, Father, help it be directed and devoted to you. We ask, Father, you watch over the church here uh, through the upcoming year. Help us to be the examples that we need to be. Help us to reach out to those around us, those in our community. Help us, Father, to let them see you living in us and to desire to be a part of uh, what you have to offer here. Uh, to continue to guide us through the service, Father, may what we do, what we say, what we sing, what we pray be pleasing to you, uh, be uh, joyful, be edifying each of us, Father, as we participate this morning. We're thankful, Father, for what you've given us in your son, for the time we have this morning where we can remember him and his sacrifice, and help us, Father, to do that justice as well. Forgive us, Father, when we sin. Help us to be better each day. Help us to strive to be more like you and your son in all that we do. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand for the first song, please? Yeah. 
text in this morning, number 297. I want to be a worker. 297. <clears throat> and after this hand, Brother Rick Keister will have a rich scripture reading and prayer. I want to be a worker for the Lord. I want to like the justice holy today is one verse in Genesis, the first chapter, verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come before you now and we acknowledge that we are nothing, that we owe everything to you, that you are great, glorious, that you are our creator, our master, our sustainer, our savior. We pray that as we go through our lives, Father, that we will always honor you, that we will always give deference to your will for us in our behaviors, in, and in our struggles to follow your will and not ours. We pray as we come before you this morning, Father, that uh, those who have assembled here have
cleared their minds of things of this life as much as possible to focus upon you and upon your son and your love for us so that we can enter into this uh, period of worship and, and do our best to give you glory and honor. As we sing the songs, Father, we pray that we will focus on those words and mean those words as we say them. Later, Father, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we pray that we will do everything we can to focus our thoughts upon that sacrifice, upon the fact that your son came to this earth to do your will and to live his life perfectly for us, teaching us of your ways and his ways and eventually dying on the cross so that we might have a chance at salvation. We pray, Father, that we will never take that sacrifice lightly, that it will always be in our minds as Christians in the fact that we should love you or attempt to love you as much as you love us. This world is in trouble. We do not follow your will in many ways. And we pray, Father, that people will come to a better way of living, make better decisions, that they will do what they can to preserve peace, establish peace, return to peace on this earth, and that people will be able to live in a world free from threat of death or violence or persecution. We realize, Father, that in this country we have freedoms that at least at this point, that we are able to enjoy where we can come together at a place like this and a time like this and not have any fear of others who might try to attempt to prevent us from doing so. We pray, Father, that that will continue, and uh, we pray also that we will do what we can to encourage that continuance. Father, we do stray from your will from time to time. We are human and we know that we sin. And we pray, Father, that we will be mindful of those sins, be aware when we do sin, that we are contrite, and that we repent of those sins. And we know, Father, that if we do, we know that you are faithful to forgive us. We pray, Father, that as we go further into our worship here, that we will do everything we can to please you. We have striven to do our best to match the pattern that we find in the New Testament here, and we will attempt to carry out this worship in spirit and in truth. We ask this prayer in your son's name. Amen. Next hymn this morning, number 299, I Stand Amazed, 299. I sing the first and second and fourth verse. I stand amazed
many times when I read things in the Bible, I'm often kind of amazed um, at how people reacted. The Gospels tell us that Jesus predicted his death three different times. Not only that, but he predicted his resurrection in three different times. And he didn't say, I will eventually raise. I'll raise someday. He says, in three days, I will raise. I'll be killed, and then I will raise again. Now, is this something a man like he could boast? Well, you might ask Lazarus and his companions. You might ask the widow and her son who died when he raised him from the dead. Or Jairus' daughter and their family. Could he raise the dead? Certainly. But could he do it in three days? And why did people not realize that? In Matthew 27, you know, even the Pharisees, this is after Jesus' death, they made a statement, we remember that that deceiver, Jesus, would rise in three days. They remembered Jesus' statement that in three days he would raise. And yet people were shocked and surprised, especially those closest to him. In Mark chapter 16, it was Mary Magdalene uh, whom Jesus first appeared to. And she went and told everyone, and they didn't believe it. And Jesus, in, in verse 14, he rebuked them for their lack of faith and stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him. In John chapter 20, we read that even Thomas, one of Jesus' 12, he wouldn't believe it, even though everybody else was saying, yeah, he's, he raised, he did it, he did it. He wouldn't believe it unless I actually see it with my own eyes and I actually touch the wounds. I'm not going to believe it. <clears throat> but Jesus made the statement to him that blessed are those who believe who have not seen. We believe and we have not seen. Our Lord and Savior has left this earth many years ago. And yet every day, every Sunday, we gather together to take of this Lord's Supper. This Lord's Supper, which is the emblem of our Savior's body and blood that was shed for us. The death that he died and the, the life that he lived afterwards were all remembered in this, this communion. We remember that Jesus gave his life as a once and final sacrifice for mankind, that our sins might be forgiven. Let's pray. Our Holy Father, we come before you in such humble prayer, Father. We thank you for allowing us to be together with our brothers and sisters here to, to study from your word and to sing praises into your name. And Father, we thank you so much that we now have the opportunity to partake of this supper this, this emblem of your son's body. Father, we help us to remember that he died for us. And when we get together each Sunday like this, we are remembering that sacrifice. Father, we thank you so much for the bread, the emblem of his body. We pray that you would bless it and bless those who partake. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
I often wonder what the feeling was like for the disciples back then as they watched our Savior hung, being hung on that cross and the blood that dripped down from his brow, that dripped from his hands and his feet, the horrible beating he took to his back, so much blood. He willingly gave up his life for us. He went through that for us. As we partake of this fruit of the vine, which to us is an emblem of his blood, let's again remember the sacrifice that he made for us. Let's pray. Our wonderful Father, we are, we are so grateful that Jesus was willing to become the ultimate sacrifice for us to give his life that we might have life, to shed his blood, Father, on that cruel and awful cross. We pray, Father, now that you would be with each and every one of us as we partake of this fruit of the vine, the emblem of that blood. May we all do so in a manner that's pleasing in your sight. May we never forget the sacrifice and love that was made on our behalf. These favors and blessings we ask in Christ's name. Amen.
have a mission as a church, as a body of believers, to go out into the world and to teach and to preach and to tell others about Christ. The early church made it a, a practice of when they gathered together to take up a collection so that the work might be furthered. And we continue that. Let's pray. Our gracious and kind Father, we're so grateful, Father, for all that you've blessed us with. We're so blessed in so many ways. The things that we have, our, our jobs, our homes, our families, all the possessions we have. We're, we're so grateful for these, Father, and grateful that we found favor in you. But Father, we pray that you'd help us to be mindful of the needs of the church, that we might always seek out those who are less fortunate, that we always strive to to help the weak, help the, the, the orphans, the widows, and all the, all, anyone who we can. Father, we pray that the money we collect here today will be used in a wise manner so that the work of the church might be fulfilled, that many souls might be reached. Father, again, we thank you so much for your, your blessings you've given to us. We pray that you to watch over us in all that we do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's all please stand. We'll sing hymn number 598, Standing on the Promises. <clears throat> At this time, the young children may go to the children's Bible hour. <clears throat> we'll sing the first three verses.
hymn for this morning be number 50, Are You Washed in the Blood? Hymn number 50, Brother Chris. Good morning. As Jeremy mentioned in the opening, uh, this year where our theme is devoted. And so we're talking about various things that we ought to be devoted to, especially from Acts chapter 2, verses 42. Uh, when I started planning out this year, I thought uh, it would behoove us to begin in the beginning, right? So this year for January and February, we're going to be in the book of Genesis as we think about what it means to have been devoted from the very beginning, we were created to be devoted. And that's one of the things that Genesis is going to help us see as we walk down these possibly well-traveled paths, as we revisit some of the stories that you know since your infancy, or maybe you're brand new to these stories, these will stick with you. He wants you to see that we were created from the beginning, to be devoted. This morning we're talking about the formation. So we're, we're looking at the creation, not just of the world, but of mankind. Uh, as we go through the book, it's helpful for me as I study a book, so I think it might be helpful for you too, to see the outline of the book. And so Genesis is outlined in these ways. It has four major events, the formation being the first one, of course, creation. The fall, when Adam and Eve sin, is the second one, the flood, uh, and then the fallout. The fallout is the Tower of Babel story. The four main stories in the first half of the book of Genesis create an outline for us. The second half of the book of Genesis, from Genesis 12 through 50, focus on four main characters. So you've got four main events and four main characters that outline the book of Genesis, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph's life take up Genesis 12 through 50. And we can learn some pretty incredible lessons from them about what it means to be devoted. And when we get to their lifespans, uh, we'll walk through those lessons. But this morning, we're talking about the formation. So we have to ask this question. Do you know who you are? Of course, you know your name. You know your job. You know your family. But do you really know who you are? Do you know who God says you are? Maybe, maybe that's how we can phrase it. That's how we can think about it. Do you know who God says you are? As we walk through Genesis 1 and 2, you'll find God creating. And then what? He says it's, it's good, right? In the very opening passages of the book of Genesis, you find God creating. This is his universe, and he gets to say how things are run, how we think about ourselves and everything else in the universe. And so how does he think about us? Do we know who we are? Because if you don't know who you are, if you don't know who God says you are, the world is more than happy to tell you who you are, aren't they? And, and their voices are so loud. They're, they're screaming at you who they want you to believe you are. That sometimes it's hard to hear anything else. Sometimes they convince us that we are who they say we are. But when you look back to the book of Genesis, you'll find you are who God says you are. And so let's, let's walk through some of those things. Who does God say you are? Well, first of all, the world's going to say, 
you're not anything special. You're, you're not significant. There's, there's nothing different about you than really any of the rest of creation. But as you go back through and you read the book of Genesis, Genesis 1 and 2, you'll find that that's just not the case, is it? If you've been keeping up with your daily Bible reading, or if you've started it, <laughs> you read through Genesis 1 and 2, right? So, by, by the way, if, if you fall off the wagon, like how many times do we do that? We fall off the wagon on our Bible reading, get back on it. The next day's fine. You don't have to finish this, this book in 365 days. In fact, the best way to study it is not in 365 days, but to go a little bit slower. So, don't get demoralized if you, if you miss a day or two. Just jump right back in. <clears throat> But as you, as you go through Genesis 1, you find him creating everything. And, and I believe that he created everything in exactly the fashion that Genesis 1 and 2 lay it out. In six literal 24-hour periods, God created everything we know. The, the world's not billions of years old. Evolution is not the case. Um, if you believe the Bible to be true, you, you don't have any other alternative if you believe him what he says he did he did and he claims to have created the world in six 24-hour literal days so that's what we believe and it's not without merit right we can defend that and and perhaps this lesson should have been more directed at that but we can deal with that on another time i, I think what we need to hear from genesis 1 and 2 today is who are you who does God say you are? The world's going to tell you that you're not anything special. Um, and, and that's come out in a variety of ways, hasn't it? Um, if you are not special, if you're not significant, then life doesn't matter, does it? Um, what would it matter if you... If you didn't cherish life, if, if you're not significant, if God didn't really form the world, if you're not really made in God's image, then, then life is frivolous and it's not to be cherished and, and, and it's nothing special. That's what the world wants you to believe, isn't it? That, that's one of the things that they shout so loudly in our ears that sometimes it's difficult to hear the truth over the noise, isn't it? Well, here's the truth. You, you are something special. In fact, in Genesis 1, verse 26, you find that you were made in God's image. After our likeness is what God says, there's something about mankind that looks like God, that functions like him we were created with a purpose in mind do you know what that purpose is for God to enjoy we were created for God to revel in to enjoy us in Genesis 1 1 we are reminded that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth he is the the, the moving factor. He's the one that starts this process. And in Genesis 1.26, we're reminded that he moved first. He created us so that he could be in relationship with us, so that we could, so that he could enjoy 
the relationship that he wants with us. To do that, we have to be 100% clean. We've got to be pure. In uh, Psalm 22, excuse me, Psalm 24, God envisions this scenario in which he says, who is worthy to climb the hill of God? Who, who can do that? Well, the answer is only one who is clean, one who's pure. So who can have relationship with God? Who can come into his presence? It takes purity, and, and we don't have that, do we? We're not capable of that, at least as we stand. We're not clean, we're not pure, we're not sinless. To be pure, to be sinless, we have to be we have to find our way inside of Christ. I can't do it on my own. I need His help. I need to be purified. In the New Testament, we find that we were also created for good works, right? In Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, we find the Apostle Paul saying, you were created to do good things. It's a natural reaction to how generous God has been to us that we do good things Man was not created to live in isolation. We weren't created to live in isolation from God. But that's what sin brought us. Right? That's what sin did to us. It, it made us isolated from God. If you remember from Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve sinned, we'll talk more about that next week. But after they sinned, God is walking through the garden. They hear his footsteps and what do they do? They hide themselves, don't they? They isolated themselves from God. That's what sin does. It isolates us from Him. But that's never the way it was intended to be. He intended us to be close to Him, to not allow sin to isolate us, but it has. We were never intended to live in isolation from each other either, were we? We were intended, designed to live in relationship with God and with each other, but sin has taken those things from us, like a, a criminal coming into your house and stealing your things. Sin has taken these gifts from us, these things that we were designed, intended to be, these relationships that we were designed to have. Sin has taken those things from us. We were never designed to live in isolation from each other. But here... Here we are. It separated Adam and, Adam and Eve immediately, didn't it? When Adam and Eve were confronted with their sin, what did they do? They started pointing the finger at each other, separating themselves from each other. But then they started, they started pointing the finger at God, separating themselves from God. In Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2, he says that it's not that God's hand is too short that it can't save you. It's not that his ear is too dull that he can't hear you crying out for help. It's that what? Your sins have separated you from God. That's what sin does. It separates us. It separates us. It isolates us, not just from each other, although that's true, but also from, from God. We were created to bless each other with good works and not curse each other with the blame that, of sin. That's who we are. We are special. Mankind is 
special, created in the image of God for relationship with Him and relationship with each other. And don't let anyone else tell you different. The Scripture is clear. You were created good to do good, to live in relationship with God. Secondly, if you don't know who you are, the world will tell you, well, at least you're better than that other guy, right? You've heard that. Maybe you've said that. Well, at least you're not as bad as because that guy over there is horrible, right? At least you're not as bad as the other guy. God says the standard you're living up to is not that other guy, right? Jesus is the standard that you're living up to, not your fellow man. If Adam was the standard, then Eve would, uh, wouldn't have been punished, right? Because they did the exact same thing, right? When the, the serpent tempted Eve by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and she ate, she deserves punishment, right? And then she gave to Adam, and he ate, right? He deserves punishment too. But if our fellow man were the standard, like sometimes we believe they are, at least I'm not like that guy. I'm not struggling like that. Holy cow, he's in, he's in deep, right? But if man were the standard, then neither Adam or Eve would have been punished because they did the exact same thing. Man's not our standard, is it? Jesus has to be our standard, and in fact, He is the only standard. And so the question that we have to keep coming back to is, how are we living up to Him? How are we following His commands? Are we loving like He loved? Are we obeying like He demands we obey? Are we abiding in Him? In John chapter 15, Jesus pictures us as part of the vine. And he is the main part of the vine, and we are the branches, right? He says, if, you, if you're living in me, we, we, have to, we have to abide with him. We have to live with him, dwell with him. Um, he has to be our standard. And so we're constantly looking back at ourselves and thinking, am I measuring up to him, or am I simply better than this guy? Because we can, we can find somebody to be better than, right? Hitler could have found somebody to be better than, <laughs> right? It's not hard to find somebody to, to, be, to, to be better morally than. It's not hard to find somebody to be better religiously than. Maybe, maybe you're more devout than, than this guy or that lady. But they're not your standard, are they? You're, you're not trying to live up to them. You're trying to live up to who Jesus says you ought to be. And his standard for you is far greater than that guy or this lady. He demands excellence. Are we striving for that or are we settling? Because at least I'm not as bad as that guy or that lady. That's who the world wants you to believe you are, but you are you're more than that. The world says, you should just go alone to get along. But you know what God says? You should stand up for what's right, 
for what's righteous. You should hold the line in this generation. Back up and look again at what he says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Did you, have you ever noticed the dominion part of that verse? That's one of the things that we were created for. He created us to have dominion, to be in charge. That's what dominion means, right? We were created to be in charge. But to be in charge of what? Because when we were in charge of evil, right, in the flood in Genesis 6, when we were in charge of evil, when man's thoughts were only evil all the time and everyone's thoughts were only evil all the time, when we were in charge of evil, what did God do? He hit the reset button on planet Earth and wiped everybody off and started again with one man, one family, right? We were certainly never created to be in charge of evil. He designed us to be in charge of good. We were made in His image, a God who is characterized as love, one who can't be a part of sin. These characteristics are in our blueprints. They're, they're part of our design. This love of good and hatred of evil is part of who we are. You weren't, you were not born in sin. Sometimes we will hear that from, from our denominational friends. You were born in sin. That, that's not the case. You were in fact were born designed to be holy. You don't tolerate sin, and you certainly don't join in sin. You demand righteousness from yourself and plead with those around you to live as close to God as possible. This image from Ezekiel 22 is one of my favorites. When, when I think through who God would have us to be, I think about Ezekiel 22, and you should mark this passage too. This is who God says you are. The world, the world says a lot of things about who you are, right? And like we say, they're, they're very loud. And they're going to try to convince you that you are who they say you are because your life of righteousness indicts their life of lack of righteousness. And so they have a vested interest in tearing you down and convincing you that you are who they say you are, but you're not. You're more than that. And Genesis 1 and 2 teach us that as God formed us, He formed us to be good. And when He looked at us after creation, He said, you are very good. You were designed, in your blueprints is righteousness. Sin gets in the way and it messes it up. But inside your blueprints is righteousness designed for this. Listen to Ezekiel 22. Thousands of years after creation, Ezekiel is living in a people in Israel that are God's people, but they don't look like it, and they're sure not acting like it. They're about to be cut off, as a matter of fact. They've already been cut off, actually. This is what God tells Ezekiel. Now, I sought for a man among whom, among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found None. Therefore I have poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with fire of my wrath. I have returned their way upon their heads, declares the Lord. He's looking for someone to stand in the gap. What's he mean by that? Well, picture, picture walls, fortifications, a castle. But here the, there's a big break in the wall, an opening in which an, an invading army 
can, can rush through into the midst of the castle and capture it and kill all the people. Picture that, but there's a man standing there, a giant, who fills up the gap and he won't let anybody pass. God is not so much concerned with the physical castle as he is the spiritual one. He's looking for someone to stand in the gap of sin and say, I will not tolerate it, not in my generation. I will not have it in myself and I will not have it in the people around me. This cannot be tolerated. I will stand in the gap and I will plead for people to come back to him, to be who we were designed to be. You are those people, the ones that stand in the gap and say, I I can't tolerate sin. I won't tolerate it certainly in myself and I won't tolerate it in, in the people I'm around. That's who you were designed to be. That's who he wants us to be. People who are standing with one foot in heaven and one foot on earth and we're dragging people to God, closer to him. Stand in the gap. That's who he's looking for. He's looking for spiritual warriors to stand in the gap, one foot in heaven, one foot on earth, and to drag people close to him. So you better know who you are, because if you don't know who you are, if you're not familiar with these concepts in Genesis 1 and 2, the world's going to tell you who you are, and they're going to come up with a whole lot of lies, and they're going to shout awfully loud, and they're going to try to convince you that you are who they say you are, but you're not, you're more. You'd also better figure out who God is, and Genesis is very good, very clear about who God is. Do you, do you know who God is? You certainly know some of the trivia about Him. Certainly you have a relationship with Him. But, but do you know who He is? Because they're going to say He doesn't exist. Right? You've heard that. The, there's a new atheism out and about. And it's been around for 20 or 30 years at this point. It's evangelistic in nature. They don't want to be left alone. They want to convert you to atheism. And it's not just them. They're, they're maybe the most vocal wing of this approach. But if people can convince you that God doesn't exist, that this book is a myth, that all the incredible things that he's done over the years, if they can convince you that all of that's a myth, then they don't have to obey him. They don't have to submit to him has no call on their life. If evolution's true, then the, the world was created uh, by pure happenstance over millions and billions of years. And there is no designer, there is no God, and he has no demands upon your life. You can do whatever you want to do. You see why it's attractive. Of course, it's just not the case. Evolution's not true. God does exist. He did create the world in six literal days. You better know who he is because they're happy to tell you who he is who they think he is at least so you better know who God is is. you got to know first of all that he exists and that he does have demands on your life that he wants things from you not only does he want things from you he wants you He doesn't just want your actions, he wants your heart. He wants everything, every bit of you. He wants you. They're also going to say that 
if he does exist, then he won't condemn anyone except the absolute worst. And you've heard this too as well. Saddam Hussein found hell, right? Hitler found hell. But certainly they're the only ones, right? That's what the world's going to tell you. No one who's good will wind up in hell. Is that what, is that what God has said? Is that, is that who he is? Or when we read through Genesis 1 and 2, specifically really chapter 3, that there are consequences for sin. That the righteous God who designed us to be good, who is good himself, like in his being is good. He can't be bad. He also can't be a part of sin. He can't have relationship with it. He can't hold it at arm's length. It has to be far, far away from him. He can't be any part of it. So if you're not pure, if you're not clean, if you're not 100% innocent, thanks to having your sins washed away through the power of baptism, there's only one eternal destination that's possible for you. The world does not like that idea, do they? We seem to pull back from that idea. The good news is that in Jesus Christ, you don't have to do that. You don't have to end up there. That's only for, really it was only created for Satan and his demons, right? It was never created for you, but we will end up there if we don't obey. That's a, that's a concept that our world struggles with. They, they push back against it. It's not hard to understand, is it? It's hard to submit to. They don't want to believe it. But you know it's true, don't you? Because you know who God is. You know that He is just. And that though He is kind and compassionate and slow to anger, not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance, that if you don't repent, if you're not baptized, having your sins washed away, that you will be condemned. That's not what he wants, but it is what will happen if you don't submit. So this morning, where are you at? Are, are you willing to submit to him? Are you willing to have your sins washed away through the power of baptism and then live your life in such a way that every day honors him? Focused on his priorities, doing what he wants, looking, longing for proximity to him. For being close to Him. This morning, maybe you've already been baptized and you're struggling and you need the prayers of this congregation to be who God would have you to be. If you have any need this morning, why don't you come as we stand and sing. Have you been
Good morning, church family. A couple of announcements before you are dismissed. If you're visiting with us, we are glad you decided to worship with us this morning. In the pew in front of you, there's a welcome card. Um, we'd love to have record of your attendance. If you can, just place it in one of the black boxes in the back. We'd love to have record of your attendance. So if you can fill that out, we'd greatly appreciate that. Um, if, uh, for life group news, um, this morning, uh, life group two, that's Gary Leap's life group, will meet up front after services, uh, discuss the future plans for this year, 2024. Um, so uh, life group two meet up front. And also Mike's life group, uh, we'll have lunch next Sunday on the 14th in the middle auditorium. Soup and sandwiches are on the menu for that day. So next week, Mike's Life Group will meet in the middle auditorium. Uh, okay, thank you. All right, so there's a new life group uh, change. Uh, it's out in the foyer table. Okay. Uh, new, new, new life group sheet uh, is out in the foyer table, so please grab one of those before you leave so you can find out what life group you are in. Um, so please do that. Thank you, Jeremy. Um, also, uh, Blake and Mally are planning on going to mission trips uh, to Harding University. Uh, they're needing funds for their mission trips. There's envelopes out on the foyer table. If you could help out with their mission trip, um, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, this coming Saturday, we have some youth events coming going on. On uh, this coming Saturday, uh, the youth will be heading to Char South Charleston Memorial Ice Arena to go ice skating. Uh, they'll meet here at the building at 2:15, and also next Sunday will be a um, high school devotional uh, here at the building. Um, also. Um, for Young at Heart, we have Young at Heart January 16th, next Tuesday, and we're planning on going to the Armory. Updates in our prayer list. Remember, continue to keep uh, Jimmy Wilgus in your prayers. Uh, he had tests done Thursday, and um, his, he hasn't received the results back from his, uh, his blood work yet. So keep him in your prayers that everything comes out good. Um, his blood counts has been really low lately, so they're trying to figure out why it's been low. Uh, keep Jim Martin in your prayers as well, and keep Jackie Hutchison in your prayers, and also continue to keep Friday Simpson in your prayers as well. That's all the announcements I have. I'm looking forward to seeing everybody again this evening at 6 o'clock. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 510 on Jordan's Stormy Banks. We'll sing the first two verses, and Brother Jeff Floyd will lead us in prayer.
Let us pray. Lord, we come to you, and Lord, we thank you for this other, another opportunity to come and to, to fellowship and to hear your word and to sing songs and take of the Lord's Supper. And Lord, we just pray that you'll be with us, and as we go into a new year, we pray that, you'll, that we will we'll base our decisions um, through you, and Lord, you will guide us and we will follow. Lord, we pray for so many that are sick. We pray for those who are awaiting test results that they will get good results. We pray for those who have lost loved ones. And, Lord, we also pray for those who are traveling, especially um, especially our young, our youth who are traveling back to, to school. And um, we pray that you'll be with them and get them there safely. Thank you, Lord, for your son who died on the cross. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.